Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Father, you, the one who saved us, the one who's conquered sin and death, the one who holds life and grace and love in his hands and gives so generously to us, we praise you, the one who saves us. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment we have to to share together, to celebrate together the resurrection of Jesus. This moment in history that that everything hinges on, that our faith, our our hope hinges on this resurrection. And so, Father, we, we glory in it today. We celebrate it today. We celebrate you, who you are and what you've done. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, for more than 2,000 years now, people have been gathering, not just once a year, but every week to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, never to die again. And this weekend, especially on Easter, in cathedrals and in auditoriums and in great big arenas, in church buildings like the one you're in right now, in storefronts, in tents, in underground places, in great outdoor areas, people will come together to celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. There are people who this weekend will have spent thousands of dollars, and they'll try to do this every year, and they will travel to Jerusalem, and they will go to the site of his grave, but it's empty. (laughs) There's nobody there. But it's such a special event to make that pilgrimage because he is risen. And people who aren't even sure about God, people who aren't even sure that Jesus is risen, even people like that are in church this weekend, and that's so, so wonderful. Because we understand that if this is true, if the resurrection of Jesus is true, it has such enormous implications for our lives. You know, I, I get asked from time to time, if I ever have any doubts about, about faith, about this whole God thing, about the whole church thing. And it may surprise you to know the truth. And maybe I'm not supposed to admit this to you in public, especially on Easter. But yeah, yeah, I do. I do have doubts at times, just like I assume you do as well. But one of the things, there's several, but one of the things that really makes those doubts go away from me are some of the major facts surrounding the end of the road of Jesus, his life, that we've been on this journey with him these these last several weeks. Because his road doesn't end at the cross. The story doesn't end there. His story ends with an empty tomb. And for me, the facts that I build my faith on are not about a teaching. Oh, the teachings are important. But the facts that I build my faith on are not about a teaching. They're not about a philosophy. They're not about a principle. They are about some historical events. And the number one faith factor for me, the number one, is the empty tomb. The fact that the tomb is empty, for me, says so much about what I believe about Jesus. Now think about this. Go back to that first Easter weekend. If the enemies of Jesus, back in the day, those first weeks and months after Jesus resurrected, if his enemies, 
if they had wanted to put an end to this crazy story, this myth that they thought about Jesus being resurrected, if they'd wanted to put an end to this thing of, the, of Christianity, this thing of the church that was, that was rising up in the, in the city of Jerusalem, all they would have had to have done is go to a tomb and point to a corpse. But he wasn't there. They couldn't do that. In fact, I think this is really interesting. No one, there on that first Easter Sunday, no one believed he was coming back. No one believed that Jesus was coming back. The disciples, you know, they weren't standing outside the tomb going, all right, 10, 9, 8, ah, that, that wasn't the scene. Even the disciples, his closest followers, they weren't convinced. In fact, it was the enemies of Jesus that first discovered that the tomb was empty, and they began to cover it up because they knew that the body wasn't there. The very fact that the tomb is empty is enough fact for me to build my faith upon, but that's not the only one. Here's another huge fact for me. It's also the eyewitnesses' appearances, the eyewitness appearances. Jesus, after his resurrection, doesn't just appear to his 12 disciples. He appears to over 500 people over the course of the next 40 days. People see him inside. People see him outside. People see him in large groups. People see him in small groups. Skeptics see him. Believers see him. Followers see him. Uh, enemies see him. They all see Jesus resurrected. And because of that, it changes their faith based upon that fact. Think about this. Paul tells us that at one moment, that 500 people saw Jesus alive all at the same time. It is impossible for 500 people to have the same hallucination all at the same time. I mean, that didn't even happen at Woodstock. <laughs> but yet, over 500 people served as eyewitnesses to the fact that he is not in that tomb anymore. The third fact for me is the radical change in the lives of the people who followed Jesus after the resurrection. Because what happens is over the next years and decades, all of these believers, these followers of Jesus, these disciples specifically, they all will die for what they know to be true. They will all die for this fact. Think about a guy named Peter. Peter was one, not only one of the disciples, Peter was one of the inner circle of disciples. He was one of the three that were the closest to Jesus. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. But if you remember the night before the crucifixion, when the, the mess kind of hit the fan, Peter's the one that turns tail and runs, and he even denies that he even knew Jesus as Jesus is being arrested. But after the resurrection... After the tomb is empty, Jesus goes, or Peter goes from a person who denies that Jesus is, is, is uh, denies that he knows Jesus to a person who will ultimately die for what he knows to be true about Jesus. Think about a guy named Paul. Paul spent the majority, majority of his life trying to imprison Christians, persecute Christians, put an end to this thing called the church, tell Christians that what they, what they were saying was wrong, and then Paul has an encounter with Jesus. He has a one-on-one -on -one moment with Jesus, and it changes the course of his life. Paul will go on after that moment, will go on to write more than half of what we call the New Testament. He will go all over the known world, planting churches everywhere around the world, and he will eventually be executed for what he believes, not just what he believes, for what he knows to be true about Jesus. Think about James. 
James was the brother or half-brother of Jesus. He grew up, literally grew up with Jesus. And James was not a believer until after the resurrection. I mean, think about it for a second. What would it take for your brother to convince you that he was the son of God? James was skeptical. He doubted until he saw Jesus after he was crucified and raised again. He becomes a follower of Jesus, and he dies for his faith. In fact, all of the disciples will die a martyr's death for what they believed. People don't willingly die for a lie. People don't often die for a feeling or, or a theory or, or a principle. But that's what makes what we believe so different. Because it's not based on a historical idea. It's based on historical events. Jesus is not in the tomb anymore. That's why I love the story of Thomas. Thomas is the guy that walked closely with Jesus, saw Jesus do miraculous things, was one of the 12, was there most of the time around Jesus during his three years of ministry. But yet, after the crucifixion, Thomas struggled with doubt. Maybe you've been there too. And what that tells me is that God is a God that is big enough for us to wrestle with these things. That Jesus is a guy who is loving enough to deal with our doubts. And so Jesus does not come back and condemn Thomas for not believing, for having his doubts, but instead Jesus explains to Thomas who he is. And it's the event of the resurrection that changes, changes Thomas's life forever. Thomas looks at the resurrected Lord. He sees the prints, the nail prints in his hands and in his feet. Uh, he said, uh, here, here's John 20, verse 27. Then he, Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. History tells us that Thomas will go on to lead a huge missions trip, evangelistic effort into what was now India in that part of the world, telling people about Jesus. And somewhere around the year 70 AD, Thomas will be taken captive by people who don't like what he's saying about Jesus, and he will be forced to deny his beliefs about Jesus. And when, and when Thomas says, I will never deny my Lord who died for me, they tie Thomas to a tree and throw a spear through his heart. People don't do that for a philosophy. People don't do that for a teaching or, or an idea. But for a fact, a historical event. And Thomas believed what we can now all believe, that Jesus is not in the tomb that he is alive, and because he is alive, he, like Thomas said, he can be my Lord and my God. He can be your Lord and your God. So what about you? Where are you with this? You got doubts? That's okay. You got questions? You probably should. What Thomas discovered is, if I can believe in Jesus after he died and after he resurrected, then I can certainly believe in everything else that he had to say. So what about you? Is it time for you to take that step as well? 
and say along with Thomas, my Lord and my God. You know, we are all traveling on this road of life. We, we all walk through the, the, the great parts, the bad parts, the highs, the lows. We all walk through difficulties. We all walk through betrayals. We all walk through personal failures. But all of our roads lead to a grave. So why not choose to follow someone who walked out of the grave? You see, we don't have a dead hero. We have a risen Savior who is our Lord and our God. All right, so, so, so that's the facts of Easter. And maybe you've been with us the last several weeks. Maybe you've been tuned in online the last several weeks. We've been talking a lot about the facts of Easter, these, these events, these historical events of the last week of Jesus' life leading up and through Easter. But today, I want to spend a, just a couple of moments talking not just about the facts, the what of Easter. I want to spend a few minutes today talking about the why. Why does Easter matter to you today? Why does Easter matter in your life or in my life? And to get there, I want us to pay very close attention today to the very first person that Jesus talked to after he resurrected. Because I think it's really, really fascinating who he chooses to talk to first, who he chooses to give this great information to first. Her name is Mary Magdalene. Now, this is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. We talked about it at Christmas time. This is, not the, this is a different Mary. This is the woman that some would have called back in the day. Some might have called Crazy Mary. This is Crazy Mary. You see, Crazy Mary had been possessed by demons. And Crazy Mary had been a prostitute. And Crazy Mary had been really unsettled and was often kind of discarded by society and people and world just by everybody. And Crazy Mary is one of the first people to start following Jesus way back in the early part of his ministry because he cast those demons out of her. He helped put her life back together. And so she's also now the first person to see Jesus and talk to Jesus after Jesus comes back from the dead. You know, she's one of the reasons that I believe these accounts about Jesus' resurrection. Because think about this. If you're going to make this stuff up, if you're going to write this story from scratch, if you're going to make this up, you don't put crazy Mary in your story as one of your most credible witnesses. You just don't do that. But yet, that's exactly where she is. She's right there, and she's the first one to see. She's the first one to talk to Jesus after the resurrection. Here's the scene. Jesus is resurrected. He's no longer in the tomb. And there's a group of women who are coming to the tomb to prepare the body of Jesus to, for, for burial. Get this. They think he's still in the tomb. They are coming to the tomb with the burial spices to put on him. Catch this. There are no Christians at this point. The concept does not exist. Everyone, everyone thinks Jesus is dead. No one is going there to look for a resurrection. Matter of fact, the disciples, they're not even not in this group. The disciples are behind locked doors. They're afraid for their lives. They're hiding out. These three women go to the tomb, not looking for a resurrection. They go to prepare the body, you know, because they pretty much assume the men didn't do it right the day before. That's, that's why they're on their way to do that. And so they show up at the tomb, and the body is gone. And angels appear. Two of the women run. That probably would have been me too. They run. They split. Mary is left destitute. Mary is left sobbing. Where's Jesus? 
Where, where's his body? Take a look what happens, John 20. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. In other words, I don't know where he is, but I want to put him back. Just tell me where I'll take care of it, and let me put him back so he can rest in peace. She expects him to be dead. There's no Christians at this point. It's just a lot of people with broken hearts. Maybe that's where your faith finds you on this Easter. It's just brokenhearted. You had an idea of what faith was. You were hoping for the best, but for whatever reason, it, it didn't work out for you. And maybe your reasons for not believing have nothing to do with facts, but everything to do with all the Christians in your life that have let you down. That's kind of where Mary is at this point. Look what happens. Verse 16. Mary, Jesus said. Now catch this at the very mention of her name, the, the, the way he says her name, she knows it's him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out. Rabbi, which is Hebrew for teacher, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. In other words, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm back just a few more weeks. But just the fact that she took that step forward, suddenly Jesus meets her in that moment and her faith becomes a reality. Now notice what he says next. Notice what happens next. These next words are the words that change Easter from not just a holiday and not just history, but into something that brings you hope in your life today. Verse 17. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, I'm going to read that line again, and I want you to repeat. I'm going to do a little phrase at a time. You repeat the phrase after me, all right? Let's all get this, this line into our head. You ready? My Father and your Father. This is where you play on. There you go. My Father and your Father. My God, your God. All right, now that you're awake, let's do it again. Ready? My father and your father, to my God and your God. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord, and then she gave them his message. Jesus looks at this woman with a past. He looks at this woman, who everybody called crazy Mary, and he says to her, you know what? It's not just my God. It's your God. It's not just my Father. It's your Father. In other words, because of what happened on the cross, Jesus is telling Mary, and he's telling the disciples, and he's telling us, I have made a way for you. My God, my Father, is your God, your Father. Now go tell the disciples. Think about this. 
It's not just crazy Mary that gets this information. It's also the disciples. You know, sometimes depending on maybe the church background you grew up in, you might think that the disciples uh, were just all like perfect people and they were just kind of saints from the beginning. But I want you to think about three of these individuals that Jesus says to Mary. Go go back and give this message to, to these disciples. This message that says, my God is your God, my father is your father. One of them, his name was Thomas. We talked about him just a minute ago. We often refer to Thomas by his nickname, Doubting Thomas, because of his skepticism. And Jesus says to him, or Jesus says, go tell Thomas, go tell Thomas, my God, your God. My father, your father. Another guy was Matthew. Matthew hung out with the tax collectors. Uh, he was a tax collector. He, he hung out with the drunks and prostitutes. He was an enemy of the people, the Jewish people. They hated him because he was stealing from everybody. And Jesus says, go tell Matthew, my God, your God. My father, your father. There's also Peter. Peter who denied Jesus three times. Where I come from, three strikes, you're out, right? He says, go, even go tell Peter, my God, your God. My father, your father. In other words, the greatest obstacle that these guys had, the greatest obstacle that Mary Magdalene had, the greatest obstacle that you and I have is our sin, which creates a distance between us and God, our God and our Father. And Jesus says, now, because of what I've done, because of the cross, because the grave is empty, I have crossed that bridge, and now my God is your God. And my Father is your Father. You know, I think a lot of us, we, we, we kind of think that God has his favorites. God has the people he likes the best, you know, the people who are always in church, the people who've memorized the Bible, the, the people with the kids who are always so well-behaved, the people who never had a bankruptcy, never gone through a divorce, never been fired from a job. And we tend to think that, that we've got to be really good like that in order to get God's favor and get God's attention. That we, we've got to be really good like that. Listen, there's a word for that. The word is religion. Religion simply means what we do for God. But Jesus comes and tells us that something different has happened. And because of Easter, and why this, why this matters to you, is that it's no longer about religion for God. It's what we do for God. It's now about a relationship with God. My God, Jesus says, is your God. My Father is your Father. The why behind Easter is that God takes care of our biggest problem, which is our sin that separates us from him. That nagging feeling you have in your heart that, that if, if I'm ever good enough, if anybody could ever love me enough, and now Jesus steps in and pays for your sin. And now he says, because I've done this, because the tomb is empty, you can now say, my God, my Father, my God. My Father. Jesus teaches us how not just to walk to the grave, but how to walk through, provides a way for us to walk through the grave. Think about this. Mary Magdalene, she eventually died. Peter eventually died. Lazarus, who Jesus had brought back from the grave just a couple of weeks before, eventually died. All of the disciples eventually died you and me eventually we're gonna die we don't know when but one thing we do know is everybody spends eternity somewhere so why not follow the one who will walk you not only to the grave but through the grave why not follow the one who because of what he has done says to you my god is now your god my father, your father. 
Let me pray for you. If our communion team will go ahead and take their places, get ready to serve. Let's pray together. God, thank you for being our God and our Father. We thank you for the truth of, of the resurrection, the power that is ours because of the resurrection. That our biggest problem, our biggest fear, to be separated from you can now be, that distance can now be removed because of what you've done through Jesus on the cross. Father, we consider now the cross of, of Jesus as we come to our time of communion. And we focus our attention upon the sacrifice of Jesus, upon his body and blood broken and shed and poured out for us. And Father, as we focus on the cross, we're reminded today that not only did Jesus go to the cross, not only did Jesus go to the tomb, but Jesus walked through, walked through the grave and gives us a way to walk with you forever. My God, my Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to invite you to join me now in a time of communion. Our communion team's on their way around passing these emblems. As these trays come around, just take a stack of those cups and just hold on to them for a moment. One cup has the bread in it. One cup has the, the juice. Just hold on to those. We'll take these together in just a second. You know, we do this every week here at Faith Christian, not just on Easter. It's something we do every single Sunday because we believe that when we participate in the body and the blood of Jesus, that's what communion is. These reminders, these symbols, these emblems of the body representing the body of Jesus, representing the blood of Jesus. We believe when we participate in the body and the blood of Jesus that it unites our lives with the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. So that's what we do. But we also believe that when we do this, that it unites our lives with one another. Brothers and sisters of this like precious faith, men and women who understand that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. We understand that when we come to the cross that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And that we all need Jesus. We all need this forgiveness. We all need to hear my God is now your God. My Father is now your Father. If this is new to you, if you're uncomfortable with this, you, you can take a pass on it. You don't have to participate. But we want you to know that you are invited. You are welcome to share now in the body and the blood of Christ. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it. He passed it to his disciples and he said to them, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Then Jesus took a cup, prayed a prayer of thanksgiving over it, passed it to them and said, take and drink for this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The body and the blood of Christ for the people 